Hello, it's Audio Art Tell 37 and it's 12th night. Time to take down the decorations and uh, my first fake tree. I think I didn't mention that I'd bought a tree with Olive, my granddaughter, in between school and puppy class one. Now long ago, pre-Christmas afternoon, and uh, it was so big that we had to have help bring it back. We'd gone out to get a little one. And then I was in the doghouse. Ha! Anyway, I was in trouble. Whoa. Whoa. The daughter said, What do you call that? One of the daughters. The mother of Olive took one look at the tree and said, where are you putting that? I said, oh, just in the window. Anyway, it filled up all of the bay window. I have to say, I live in Pooterland. The, the uh, bay window is not that big a bay. Anyway, it filled it up. It was a bit of a bush, and it was like wonky. So I brought it down. I said, come on, Olive, quick. We have to stand on it. So we stood on it and bounced it and bended it and got it up. It still looked a bit wonky, but I went, it's fine, it's fine, pulled it, and I decorated it pretty well alone for hours. But before I'd done that, Kitty, I don't think anyone's getting anonymised in this. It's not a diary, but it's some sort of report. Kitty phoned. She was going out. The story's been very badly told. Well, basically, Olive and I got the tree from Kentish Town Tube Station and we got help bringing it back. Finally, it was erected in the bay and at about this time, Kitty was going out for the evening and Olive and Jem and I and Bonzo were going to puppy class. So Kitty went back past the trees and phoned me up and said, Look... I'm going to ask them if they'll take that big tree back and give you a little tree. And so I went, oh, well, it's up, it's fine. Well, all right then. So I came in and I said, Olive, um, your mum's going to get a, a little tree because, well, I don't know how this happens. The tears were already on the face, rolling down. In under a couple of seconds, so of course I said very rudely, why the f*** do you want to ruin this? I'm a little bit uh, loath to use the sort of language. Okay, fine, good luck. I'm like, it's going to be fine, this tree. So that's when I got really going with it. Decorated it, looked lovely. But what I didn't kind of realise was that Bonzo was going to grow... And in growing, he started to pull at the things hanging off the bottom of the tree. And the tree would lurch around. And then one morning I saw him having a great time scratching and biting at the uh, little round base that they stuck the tree into. It's tempting bit of bark oh no this tree's going to be down glass will be in people's feet and eyes and 
and my name will be Mud. And um, I love that story, by the way. Um, Mud, I believe, was the doctor who uh, treated Abraham Lincoln's assassin without knowing that he'd just killed Abraham Lincoln. Anyway, an aside, I said to Jem, right, we've got to get rid of this tree. I wrapped all the decorations, I cleaned up the floor. The tree was taken out of the house on the 23rd of December, as if in disgrace, that's it, no Christmas. And um, I must go and buy another tree, so I went to buy another tree. You couldn't buy a little tree, but you could buy a fake one. Anyway, it was extremely good in terms of size, and I bought some spare parts, you know, that cut, cut off offcuts of a, of a real tree and wove them into the fake tree so it would smell nice and hung things on. There was another sort of row. can't remember what that was about. I was like, oh no. And then I spent the night my mum's with Katie. Katie is not Kate. Katie is my friend who uh, I went on the buses with and I said that's a good way to have a a little party, just take a few bottles of miniatures, wine bottles, or whatever you drink, and then sit and well, world go by. <laughs> What's the world go by? Anyway, Katie bought some ham and some red cabbage she'd cooked, and we watched the old Far From the Madding Crowd. Wow, that's an amazing film. Um, with my mother and... Quite, quite an amazing film in terms of cinematography and just all that landscape and marvellous, marvellous silence in it. I'm not sure a film nowadays would have quite so much silence. And I was struck by how much the once completely compelling Sergeant Troy, played by Terence Stamp, how he looked just a bit plastic and odd, and how incredibly handsome I found Peter Finch. Altogether and aside, anyway, Katie and I had a, a a good evening, and my mother was fine. And in the morning, I went, "Oh no, I've got a plastic tree." She said, "It's all right. I think it's ecologically far." sounder to have a fake tree. Anyway, I went back and that's how come I have a tree that can be thrown out in under ten minutes. Well, not thrown out, packed away. Packed away. And, uh, well, it's about packing things away, I guess. A wonderful day for it. Epiphany. Day of the Kings. I love that. I don't know if I've said it, my mind's complete mush at the moment, but the kings following that faraway star of wonder, star of light, the magi. I love all the old mystical magic about it. And I'm thinking a lot about stars, faraway stars, deceased stars. 
So it's like the parrot. Dead stars. But stars whose light reaches us still, despite the source being quite dead, lights out, possibly even a black hole where once there was a star, but still the light reaching us through that deep space-time. Think of these flickering lights, bright and cold somehow, when you know what we never know. I mean, I never know which stars have died and which are still alive. I suppose I'm thinking of all this because of my mother and her eyes. And sometimes the lights are on, as they say, but sometimes I see the cold, hard stealth nature, to borrow that wonderful phrase from Werner Herzog when he's talking in Grizzly Man about the guy who sees how friendly the animal is, but in his eyes I only see the cold, hard stare of nature. I'm not in my mother's good books at all. In fact, she hates me. It's hard to, to reckon with this idea of being the enemy, but for many reasons she will be going into a home next week. And that's in itself very interesting because it's an NHS home and it's lovely, it's friendly. And I wondered why I was so anxious. I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm actually embarrassed, like, oh, so anxious, you know. She can only go to an NHS home. And I just thought about the absolute wonder of the NHS. And back to Adrian Gill's essay, where he talked so brilliantly about it, a great egalitarian generosity of an idea that medicine can be for all, and not dependent on who you are and how much you can pay. And that respect and actually love and vocational love that is in such a system such an organisation engenders a really good community of people suffering in whichever ways because it is egalitarian and I can't remember the details of that beautiful essay but there is something about the waiting rooms of the other the other people those that of all the privileges of private medicine, and something about the petulance. It wasn't that word, but it's what I understood from it. A sort of petulance, as if a certain added luxury would actually make anything or anyone any better. Of course, there was the issue of the medicine, but that's another another strand and that's that's a terrible other strand you know where where people cannot get the medicine that will cure them and the NHS got to fight for that ah oh, especially a generation like myself born into it born into 
a real belief that it would just go on, the welfare state, the free education, the education for all. It's it's strange and it's coming to me a lot at the moment how how I've been raised and educated and socialised alongside extremely privileged people, really lovely people who work bloody hard in very good ways and for good causes. I think of race relations, amnesty, you name it. But have actually very different experiences home-owning parents for a start. They've been very patient with me as I've bitten various heads off. Well, how would you know? But it, it, it is a very, it's a very interesting experience I've come up against. And this isn't a confessional, but it's a way of trying to work out in, a, in many ways how I need to tell a story and how a whole set of you know, chance encounters, even arriving here to certain parents, how how could to make a provisional sense or communicate as a story, uh, because there is a story, and make and make that story vital in a way or or helpful. These could sound very worthy. I mean, a lot of people go, you know, that's not what art's about. But, you know, what is it about, actually? Ah, and that's a good a good way to segue into the Christmas card that I never actually made. It's never too late. I mean, it's epiphany. I could send it out today because I wanted to add Monzo to a nativity scene. I thought he'd look very good, the black sheep. You know, I, I think of him as a little wolf in black sheep's clothing. I did some very quick little drawings in eyeliner. Eyeliner is very suitable, particularly for the fluffy feet and just the way the hair bounces and fluffs around. But, you know, that next step. Anyway, it's what I've always said to students. Just do it. You know, just do it. Then you can stand back and assess it. Some of the things of this Christmas I haven't just done. I haven't sent so many cards, not even wrapped presents. I, they're just lingering around. And I'm sure some of the gifts will never get to the people. Oh, well. Oh, well. Can't be defeated by... Uh, good intentions coming to naught. It's that time of year where it, people are full of good intentions. I had a text message from somebody saying, among my many re resolutions, I intend to be fearless. And I thought of fearlessness. Mm, so I don't want to be fearless. I want to have fear and do it anyway. Anyway, I'm, I am I am quite fearful at the moment. But, you know, feels like it's okay to be and then just get on with it. Janus. Right. Not exactly. Is he two-faced? Yes, absolutely. 
but he's looking backwards and forwards. Can't blame him this time of year or any time. I think of that sign that I made where every direction has the destination onwards. Well, just, yeah, I've just got to keep going onwards. Mm. And uh, imagine having arrived, oh, I don't want to say from a black hole, but, you know, from wherever. From under certain stars. Tomorrow, 59 years ago tomorrow, a friend sent me a horoscope. Well, quite extraordinary, actually. I'm, I've never been massively into the horoscopic and that's partly because I realised that people didn't like Capricorns so much. It seemed like, well, quite a lot of people liked the idea of Jesus anyway, but that birthday is not necessarily 25th of December. But mm, David Bowie, that he's the 8th of January. But uh, I'd say January and people, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aquarius, I go, oh no, Capricorn, they're, oh no, no, no. I've got a great story about a driving um, school and um, not being an Aquarius, but I've seen I'm way over time. Oh well, this is the New Year special. I wonder, I wonder really if I can edit this. Nah, I can't. I've done so many, I've done so many of this one because I found it, it was getting a bit depressing. Me thinking about being a, an enemy, the enemy child, the elderly child, otherwise known as the enemy. And it has been sad for me. And I just have to deal with it. Just deal with it. It was so brilliant, that talk. The long player talk between Ali Smith and Marina Warner. And she said she'd heard a programme where an old schoolmaster, I think, or headmaster, had said he'd taught the boys how to live and how to die. Phew, so, so important. I think some of these things would be really good to learn in time. That was a, an extraordinary coincidence because somebody in the audience came up to her and said that was my uh, grandfather who said that and gave his name. And so coincidence is wonderful. And dogs are wonderful. And I'm learning to be a lot more human with the Darling dog, Bonzo. He is really irritating as well in his exuberance. That's, that's also quite, an, quite a curious check. Like, why <laughs> can't he just be exuberant when I feel like it? But it's marvellous. It's just relentless joy. Hmm. Great.
and challenging. Oh, and something I did say about my grandson hearing the little Lord Jesus, the little orgy. Hello, his mother said it, he was singing the little orgy says. Hmm. I don't think I needed to share that. God, it's over 20 minutes. I can't stop now. Couldn't start and I can't stop. Epiphany. I wanted my uh, name to be Epiphany when I was younger. I thought, you know, if I'd actually been born to the sort of parents I'd have liked to have been born to, they would have been hip cats, you know. Jazz. Into something like Calypso. Don't forget my age before you think, oh, Calypso is so racist. Or love of Calypso. I don't know. Heard some very good Calypso. The ICA, Pete Doig was DJing and Mark Harris, these old, old guys from my youth. Well, they're not so old, I think. Oh, I think Mark's older than me and I think Peter's younger than me. And considerably more wealthy. Now what am I doing? Blathering. This is an art show. It's not, and it's not a diary. It's musings and wandering. But sometimes I like to bring up artists. They were two of the greatest painters of the time. As was Melissa Scott Miller. Absolutely brilliant. I think I've talked about Melissa's painting of Stanley Kubrick's garden, St Albans, that I love so much. Trees, just trees. You can't imagine. I can't imagine doing it. Somebody said, it's like painting my numbers. And I thought, what numbers? Ooh, sort of like cosmic, psychedelic numbers. But that was a an abstract painter said that. It was in the time of that of wars over painting. It's funny I mentioned Adrian Gill's beautiful little red dog in the Colorado landscape. One of the pre Christmas art holes. Just thinking of all the paintings of that time. All the people, Marks at Royal College, Peter Oiggs at Martins, and I wanted to buy this one, which is very beautiful, like the yellow taxi cab. New York cab, sort of floating, seem to be sort of like levitating over a scene. Well, I didn't, of course, otherwise I'd be ha ha laughing financially, but I said once I really regret not buying that just because I loved it would have wanted it, he never he never sold it so it just goes to show what excellent taste I have I don't know why I'm saying that, blowing my trumpet well yeah I don't know why I'm saying but I, I mean, anyway 
it's quite interesting if you buy something that you really love, or a painting or anything, you don't necessarily want to sell it at all. You don't buy it for an investment. But, you know, rainy days come and you think, well, I've, I've actually got nothing. I look at some of the things that my mother thought were very valuable and, you know, as a matter of interest, have taken them worth a couple of hundred quid and, like, wow. Strange how things are invested with value. Absolutely worth shit. Nothing. Well, I'm not... I'm not saying £200 is nothing or £300 is quite a lot, come on. But I'm saying compared to the idea that these coffee, what are they called, coffee jugs, coffee pots or whatever, could save the day or save the days. Oh no. Anyway... That's why we've got to save the days of the NHS and all of that. Hmm. Yes, got to keep going. Ha, 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 ha. And uh, on the subject of uh, keeping going, I've really been keeping going. Ah, well. Oh, well, this is just one of those one-offs. I really want to... Um, and soon, on the eve of my new age. And it, it is quite a thought that uh, next time I'm delivering an art hole, my mother will be in her new home. I'll have moved the Kerry Hills, the painting she particularly likes, and different photographs and little bit of furniture. Ah. Well, thank you for listening and bye for now.